Welcome back to episode number 198 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is a podcast for building a global community around process safety and entries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, I'm really excited to be discussing the public input process for NFPA 660, standard for combustible dust. I'm really excited to be doing that with Laura Moreno, Standards Lead in Industrial and Chemical Engineering at the NFPA. She's based at Quincy, Massachusetts. Laura, thank you for coming on the podcast today. We're excited to have you here. Thanks so much, Chris. I'm excited to be here. This is a, a really important topic for the community. It's something that we've been talking about on the podcast quite a bit over the last year and a half, two years. Uh, back in episode 128 and 129, we had a, a replay of a presentation from Jason Kerbeck, CV Technology, talking about the upcoming NFPA changes, what they mean for combustible dust safety. That was in reference to 660. We had Alex Ng on back in episode 147, talking about where NFPA is heading, what that means for combustible dust code users. Back in episode 175 of the podcast, we had on Jack Osborne talking, giving a status update of NFPA 660. Since that time, and actually only about a week or two weeks prior to recording this episode, it'll probably come out in a couple of weeks from now, NFPA 660 has been released for public comment. So this is a really important step. I'm going to get Laura to, in this episode, talk a bit about her role with NFPA, give some background on the development of 660, and dive deep into this public feedback process, why it's needed what NFPA is looking for and, and generally what are we, we looking for as community with the public involvement process, how to actually contribute. And my goal through this podcast episode, and I think it's the same as Laura's goal, is really to get people involved with the process. We, And by we, I, I really mean the standard development committee, which is quite large, put a ton of effort into 660, getting it put together in, in a way that's really useful to move forward, move the industry forward. And getting that public comment and public feedback in is a really important part of the process. So that's really the outcome. So if you are listening to this, I, I normally say finish listening to it. But in case this, in this case, it's so important, you can do it right now and you can come back to the podcast if you want to. Go to nfpa.org slash 660. And that'll take you to NFPA 660, the page for that. There's a button right there that says submit public input for the next edition. You create an account and you'll be launched in a terror view and you can start reading the documents and providing feedback right there. So with that as a pretty long-winded introduction, Laura, let's cycle back to your role with NFPA. And can you just kind of tell the audience what, what you do there and what your involvement's been with 660 so far? Sure. So I'm a staff liaison at NFPA in the Standards Development Department. And I lead a team of five staff liaisons and myself who are staffed to the industrial and chemical hazard uh, related NFPA standards. So what that means is we facilitate the standards development process. We work with the technical committees and the committee chairs to guide them through the development and the revision of each edition of an NFPA standard. So the reason I'm involved in NFPA 660 is I'm the staff liaison for what previously have been the six separate standards that relate to uh, combustible dust at NFPA. And I've been working with the technical committees. There's uh, five technical committees and one correlating committee that have to do with combustible dust. And I've been working with them on the development of NFPA 660. And we do appreciate your efforts to organize five technical committees and, you know, going through all six standards and, and being involved in that process. You probably don't know the number of a ballpark with, with five technical committees and a correlating committee. How many round number folks would be involved in that whole process? Is it, you know, a dozen people? Is it a hundred people? Is it more or somewhere in the middle? Just uh, so the audience can have an idea of scale. 
I'd say it's probably around 130 to 150 people total. There are some overlap in each of the committees, but in general, our technical committees have up to 30 voting members on each committee, and then each voting member can have an alternate member. And then we have some non-voting members who represent the government organizations and uh, groups like that. So uh, it is upwards of 100, but not not in the multiple hundreds. I'd like to get that point out there because it's, well, it's really useful. Getting into this background is not the topic of this podcast. We want to get in 660, but I'll, I'll say it here as an important point. Development of these consensus standards with 150 people together, you know, across a broad topic is just so powerful. And I do see, it's a matter for another podcast episode, but I'll mention it here. I do see where other local and regional guidelines are being developed where it's three people in a room and they might, you know, take some subsets of different standards across the world, including NFPA ones. And it, it just concerns me when when three people toss aside the work of hundreds and, and that experience. And then often the justification is, you know, well, we've never seen that happen. And it's like, well, that's because there's three of you and not 150. So anyway, I'll put that out there. I, you don't need to comment unless you want to on that specific aspect, Laura. <laughs> yeah, I'll just say that's an important part of what we see as a, an important part of our process is involving as many people as possible, as many different backgrounds and experiences. Yeah, and that's really the, the the ultimate point of this public input process too. It can involve many more people now that can review and provide input to the document development exactly. process. So, can you give some background on six sixty? We don't need to. We we covered what the chapters are and and where they come from. So you can cover that a bit. But um, just so somebody's listening to this and comes in fresh, they know enough to understand what they're going to see in the public review process, and maybe some of the reason why NFPA the technical committees went down the route of creating 660 in the first place. Sure. So I'll for initially I'll go back pretty far all the way back about 2009 when OSHA published their advanced notice of proposed proposed rulemaking on combustible dust. There were a lot of comments that came out of that that recognized some inconsistent requirements between the NFPA standards that cover all the different occupancies and industries and combustible dust world. And there were con- comments about how that could limit the effectiveness of their use and maybe OSHA shouldn't be adopting NFPA standards because it's not easy to figure out, you know, what's what's applicable and which requirements apply to different different places. So that's when the NFPA Standards Council first recognized maybe the use of or the usefulness of having a combined dust standard. And they started first by, that's when NFPA 652, the fundamentals document, was first starting in development. And the correlating committee that oversees the different dust technical committees at NFPA, that's when those were starting to be formed. And then once you get to like the 2016, 2018 timeframe, 652 had been published, the correlating committee had been created, but there were still big differences in how the different committees were addressing and using NFPA 652. When I talk about the different committees and commodity and industrial industry specific dusts, the ones I'm talking about are 484 for metal dust, 61 for agricultural, 664 for wood dust, 655 for sulfur, and 654 for all the other dusts. Each committee and each document was treating NFPA 652 slightly differently. So for example, some of the documents were able to shorten their standards because they simply referred to 652 for all the fundamentals and then would have like supplementary requirements in their document. Whereas uh, some documents wanted their standard to be used as a completely standalone 
document. So they pulled anything from 652 that applied to their industry into their standard, plus any of their additional requirements. So there was really a difference in how each document was using 652 and how that would work together. And the Standards Council wanted that to be made consistent and clear because people, users were having trouble figuring out what applied to them. So the Standards Council asked the technical committees to figure out how to address these multiple occupancies and industries in a non-contradictory way. And at first, the combustible dust technical committees didn't want to jump right into combining the standard. They wanted to research some other alternatives. So we had a task group in 2020 get together and do that. But ultimately, the path forward that they recommended to the correlating committee and then that the correlating committee recommended to the standards council was to have one combined standard. And the correlating committee, in making that recommendation, came up with a plan where each of the each of the committees would have input on what's considered fundamental, what should stay in the 652 material in 660, and what should be controlled by each industry or commodity-specific chapter. And so they came up with a process. It, it initially was expected to just go through 2020 and 2021, but that was assuming that we'd all be able to, you know, have a series of meetings. Everyone would be able to get together, hash this out, come out with a draft. But as we know, about a week after that correlating committee meeting is when um, COVID hit and we ended up stretching this project out 2020 through 2022 to get this draft written. And then once that was all done, each technical committee had a draft of what would stay in their chapter of 660. So as you said, was already covered in some of your previous episodes, chapters one through nine would hold the fundamentals and then each of the commodity specific chapters would follow after that. So agricultural gets its own chapter, metals gets its own chapter. So each committee got to select what would stay in their own chapter and then they were balloted on that and it was sent to standards council to be published as a draft. And so many of the committee members at this point recognize that there's still a lot of work to do before the standard is issued, but ultimately decided to vote to send it to the Standards Council so that it could go out for public input and we could start this process of incorporating everyone's input and feedback. And just so we have it here, and I'll try to say it a couple of times in the podcast, when is the, the due date for public comment? Yeah, public comments or public input is this first stage. It's open until January 5th of 2023. Okay, perfect. Yeah. And you mentioned, so that's this stage. I guess that begs the question, then what comes next in the, the process? Yeah, so right now, there are several opportunities for the public to provide feedback. This is the first one, the public input phase, and it means that the draft is up. Any member of the public can review it and submit public input on any section they want, even while they're committees are waiting for that public input and that deadline of January 5th. There are certain things that they're going to be working on in in small task groups, like coordinating definitions, coordinating terminology, like for flash fires and explosions throughout throughout the standard. And then after that, what happens is the committees will all meet independently. They'll, you know, there'll be meetings for each different committee in early 2023, where they'll review all of that public input they respond to each one. So each one will either be incorporated into the draft or the committee will provide a reason why they're not incorporating it. Then they're balloted on those and a, a first draft report will be posted in October of 2023. And that's when the public has, again, another chance to review that draft, the first draft. 
and submit public comment on that. So there'll be a public comment period from October of 2023 to January of 2024. That sort of starts the meeting cycle again. The committees have their second draft meetings. They develop a second draft report. They respond to any of the public comments that are received. And then the, the public has another chance to submit submit input called the NITMAM, the NITMAM stage notice of intent to make a motion. That is where they make a notice that they're going to come to the technical session at our NFPA conference and sort of, it's, it's almost like an appeal if your public comment or public input was not accepted and you are still interested in pursuing that, you'd come to the tech session and speak to the NFPA membership on the floor. So there are still several opportunities for people to submit public comment or public input as we go through all of this. Yeah, and I would say don't don't wait to review it to the second cycle as well. Are there are there sort of is it expected that there be different types of feedback in this cycle that's running now until January fifth, twenty twenty three, and then that second cycle in October of next year running to January twenty twenty four? Yeah, that's a good point. What you said about not waiting. There can't be any new material addressed at the second draft meeting. Everything has to be something that was commented on at the first draft or in the public input stage. So if if there is something you want changed, you have to get it in in this first initial period. The public comment phase is sort of to fine tune any changes that were made at the first draft stage. Yeah, it's kind of like you said, I think you said the word appeal in there somewhere like that's more what the second round might be for, if that makes sense. Or uh, does that uh, does that make sense? I guess. Um, so the public comment period, that second period from October twenty third, twenty twenty three to January twenty twenty four, is to really comment on anything that was changed at the first draft stage, or that you. So if you had submitted public input and it wasn't accepted, you could come back again at the public comment stage and say, "Okay, I see your response, but I still think the committee should consider this for the following reasons." You can also comment on anything that they change that you don't agree with, but. In the public comment stage, you can't submit a new comment on something that is brand new that has not been touched at all at the first draft stage. So if, if that was the case, you wouldn't have the ability to change anything going forward. So if you do want to be able to submit NITMAM, submit appeals, you have to start from this very first part of the process. Makes a lot of sense. And I didn't really think of that second part. So you sort of have a, you know, appeals or providing additional information to substantiate previous comments that didn't go through. That'd be one feature of the second round. Mm -hmm. You also get to review all the changes made from everyone else's comments. Exactly. Um, otherwise, that's why you need two rounds, I guess, because otherwise you wouldn't see those. Right. Um, so it's important to do the review now. And I, just, I do want to emphasize that to, to not wait. January will be coming up on this very fast. It's important. For, uh, I'll make up an example. If I said silica needs to be included in 660, if I don't say that now, then in the second process, I can't come back and, you know, address that. That's something that would be net new. Um, that's not a very good comment. And, and I don't recommend anyone makes that comment specifically. But yeah, so that's something where you wouldn't, you can't wait and do that in the second round. You need to start to address those challenges of adding new material in that first session, unless it's brought to the committee at that point, then it can't be addressed later. Does that sound like a, a half sensible example? Yeah, that's right. And that's part of the, and you know, some background of why our process is arranged like that is because if you were to submit a public comment in the second stage that, that suggested that, and the committee was to make that change, it's so far along in the process that we've now removed 
any opportunity for the rest of the public to see that change other than exactly. appeal or NITMAM. So that's why there's no new material or new changes made at the second draft stage that haven't been introduced at some in some way at the first draft. That's really helpful. And then, so we've talked about the first and the second draft. You did mention that at the NFPA conference, I guess this would be the 2024 NFPA conference, there is a possibility to, to go to the technical sessions and be involved in the, the dialogue around any changes that are still outstanding. Is there anything that's specifically, and at the end, we we're going to talk about what hap- what's happening with NFPA, but anything specifically related, related to 660 and the 2023 NFPA conference planned at this stage, or are you, are you still in the you know, the planning stages of that? We're still in the planning stages. The educational sessions have been submitted. I believe the deadline is some in September. And so that team is getting together to consider the different educational sessions. So I'm not sure at this time, but just to clarify, the tech session for this 660 consideration would be the one in 2025 because 2024, the document will still be going through its second draft stage. Right. Okay, well, come to come to all of them, yes. <laughs> 2023, 2024, and 2025, because I'm sure this will be a hot topic, at least for those of us that are concerned with combustible dust, which I would assume is anyone listening to this podcast. Otherwise, you press play probably on the wrong, the wrong podcast button. That's sort of where the timeline looks like. How do people actually provide feedback? You know, what's the recommended ways that they can actually provide feedback? And maybe we'll limit ourselves to this first round because mm-hmm. we can do a podcast episode later on the second round. Now until January 5th, you know, how do people go about providing the public feedback to NFPA? Yeah. So to submit the public input, you would go to nfpa.org slash 660 next. That's what the doc, that's the document information page for NFPA 660. Or if you just navigate to NFPA's profile and you click on 660, there's a next edition tab on there. But the direct link to that tab is 660 next. And then that will bring you to a link to submit public input. If you click on that link, it'll bring you into the Terra View system where you can review the full draft, the few, the full pr- preliminary draft. I would encourage reviewing that before you before you start submitting it. You might find what you're looking for. On that page, there's instructions for submitting public input, and there's also links to reach out for additional help. You can contact me. You can contact our customer service team. And we'll assist you with submitting public input. But that that's the main link. And as I mentioned, it's open to anyone. It doesn't have, you don't have to be an NFPA member. You don't have to be a member of the technical committees. We have enforcers, users, general members of the public and the industry. Uh, you just have to create a free profile in NFPA.org to log in and you're able to submit public input. And um, just make sure you do it by that January 5th deadline. And is it open to non, you know, U.S. residents as well? Yes, definitely. Uh, the only caveat we have right now is we can only take input in in English because it has to be a specific change to the to the standard. But we're open to any any country, any any anyone who wants to submit. Perfect. And so that's nfpa.org slash the number six number six number six next, and that takes you to the six sixty page and and the the tab on the next edition. Um, I've just been going to 660 and then you can kind of navigate around as well. Mm-hmm. Both of those should have this button for submit public input for the next edition. And when you click that, I, I think I may have had a profile already set up or not. You set up a profile, brings you into Terra view and my recommended approach here, <laughs> I'm still in the process of reviewing and, and, you know, understanding how to provide feedback and that. That's why I want to get Laura on for the podcast, but click this yellow button in the top, the top corner of Terra view. It says complete instructions. 
And this just tells you on four pages how you can go about adding different comments and how to use TerraView and some different notes on the type of feedback and that. I would start there rather than just starting to read the document. Yeah. <laughs> First time I came in here, I got a little bit like, whoa, what am I, what am I supposed to do? But um, there are instructions. The button is yellow. So I'd start there and, and then work your way through the document from there. That's a great suggestion. I get ahead of myself because I'm in the program all the time. But yep, there's some instruction pages on there. I will also say there's a there's a helpful annex material section that, that the committee developed to help users navigate the document and figure out where the sections are that apply to them. Right now in the draft, that's section A.1.3. And it explains how a user would refer to the core chapters and then go to their industry-specific chapter for their different topics. And it also includes a table showing what topics are covered in which section. So, for example, if you're looking for, say, AMS requirements in an agricultural dust facility, the table would show you that AMS requirements are in 944 for fundamentals, and then you'd go to 11944 for agricultural desk because chapter 11 is is agricultural. So there is a table in there that's A.1.3, Annex A. And I think that will help. I'm hoping that will help a lot of users looking through this because it is quite a big document with all of these standards combined. That is tremendously valuable. You probably saved me a lot of time because I, 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 I just, I start at the start of the document. Um, and it would take me a long time to get to that annex. I've opened it up here, A.1.3. Says the following suggested procedure for determining requirements for a piece of equipment. And just like Laura said, then it talks about how you might walk through this document. So I think a suggested approach for providing com- public comment is to one, read the instructions, the yellow button, two, read annex section 8.1.3. It's a uh, one page long with a table. And, and then you can kind of figure out what applies to you. So just like you said, if it's air material separators and, and grain handling, then that should walk you through how to do that. If it's I haven't, I haven't gotten deep enough to, to know, but say added manufacturing and metal dust, then uh, maybe it will give you some indication how to do that. And that's really helpful because that's going to cut down your time of review for the document to allow you get into what you want to provide feedback on rather than have to le- read the whole thing from start to finish. Some people will read the whole thing from start to finish, although that will be a lot of effort. Uh, but having that sort of guidebook on how to get through that is is really valuable. I hope so. Are there things specifically that are helpful for NFPA to receive at this starting stage and, and maybe things that aren't as helpful? Like what kind of, I'm just trying to think if, you know, three months from now, it's January and we, we as a community knock out of the park, <laughs> we do a, we have the perfect feedback for this document and everyone's really happy and excited that, you know, it's going in the process. What, what would that look like? Like what are some of the things that we'd hope to get out of this public review process and what kind of things are useful to NFPA? I really hope we can get specific feedback, specific code changes, because, you know, anyone can raise any issues on any sections they want. And sometimes people will submit public input saying, I don't understand what this sections are saying or requiring. But what's really helpful is if someone and that's okay, people can submit questions and that's fine. The committees will try to clarify if the code is unclear or if the standard's unclear. But whatever what really helps the committees is if the submitter has specific suggested changes to the text that can clarify a section. They recognize that there's a section that's confusing, but they have specific changes that would make it clearer for users in their, you know, in their position or in their roles. That is really helpful to the committees. They don't need to spend time drafting the language and, you know, really picking apart words if someone ha- can already submit 
changes that are useful to them. That's great. Yeah. And I, one valuable piece was just having that annex so that we can understand how it's, it's like um, a map for somebody to provide feedback. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, what kind of feedback is useful is really, really important. So specific feedback, my suggestion is a non-helpful comment would be that this whole document doesn't make sense. Right. Uh, a more helpful comment might be, you know, section 6.1.2 seems to conflict with section 6.1.7 or are out of order or, or I don't understand that specific things. Maybe there is a, a typo, a mistake, you know, for clar further clarification needed. Those more specific things are probably pretty useful. Mm -hmm. I've talked about this with Jack on the podcast um, before with Jason and, and a lot of the technical committee members as well offline. Providing the reason why is tremendously valuable. And, and honestly, I'm thinking if I put myself in the shoes of the committee that's reviewing this stuff, if it just says this should be changed and you don't put a reason why or try to substantiate with data or try to substantiate with experience or story or past history or whatever it is, then, you know, I just, I probably just ax it. <laughs> like, unless it, unless it made sense with somebody on the technical where they're able to sit, put their hands and say, yeah, that is true because of such and such. It's probably pretty valuable to provide something to substantiate your position. Is that something that you, you see as valuable for NFPA side as well? Yes, definitely. And um, the committee has to substantiate their changes as well. So if they already have that data from a public input, it makes their job that much easier and it makes them able to, to fully consider the effect of a change. If they don't know why someone's suggesting a change, it's likely that they won't accept it. They'll say, you know, please, please come back in the public comment stage with more information as to why this change should be made. So they, they will sometimes go back and ask for more information, but you're, it's more likely that your change will be accepted if you provide data or substantiation as to why. And there is a field, there is a field specifically for that. So it makes it easy for you. Yeah. And I, at one point I was writing a, a research paper on the advanced notice of Rose rulemaking for OSHA. I think they got something like 170 public comments back and they were mostly free form letters. I think of some of the feedback, there was very specific feedback that was very helpful in that process. Um, I never wrote the research paper. If you're wondering where that is, it, it uh, once I got through the first 50 papers, I, I, I gave up and, and had to get back to, to growing the safety science. Some of the, some of the feedback was very specific, very helpful. Some was very general and, you know, hard to grasp. Some provided the substantiation information and others, you know, just said, well, this has never happened in our industry. And, and any of that's kind of helpful. I mean, the, this has never happened. Those ones were were pretty easy because we run the instant database, so we 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 measure every year what happens to what industries. So it's just like you know that's that's incorrect. <laughs> we we have seen this this and this in this industry. So those are things that could come back. You know, if you if you provide as a very specific case of this happened in this way in our industry and it, it's not addressed here in a way that would protect that. Well, that's something that's very valuable for the committee to sink their teeth into. And they can also address it there if they have the experience and, and substantiate it or, you know, they can have for, ask for more feedback. So I'm just trying to think of some other ways that, that this information can be put in. And another, I don't know if this is something that's useful, but it's something that comes to mind here that I wrote down is anything that's sort of conflicting with other guidelines and standards might be useful to put in there. And my thought process there is then at least we're, we're noting that it is, and then a decision can be made on keeping it, modifying it, or, you know, coming up with a harmonized solution or whatever it's going to be, at least we can kind of flag those in the public review process and then get that feedback from the committee on, on choosing one path or another. 
Mm-hmm. Um, anything else like that? Do you think there might be other specific things that people should be keeping an eye out for when they're going through the review process? No, I think that's a good example, though, because they the technical committees could add annex material explaining what what the difference is or why they why they intentionally are keeping a difference or if they don't make a change to um, to coordinate the the various rules. Well, it's so valuable to have that in in the annex material or in the the assisted guidance that comes out or whatever it's going to be. Because if it doesn't, then it gets lost. And and five years from now, somebody will be looking at the two things and going, why are these different? You know, maybe the answer is, well, this was this is more conservative than the other approach. And we're deeming that level of conservatism acceptable. Mm-hmm. That's good. Now, if you have a company that is in a jurisdiction that can choose which standards they use, NFPA or IECX or whatever it's going to be, they can look and go, okay, well, which level of conservation do we do we want to apply here? How does that fit in with our company? And then they can make an educated decision there. If the annex material doesn't include that, then the company's just looking at these two things that say option A and option B, and you got to do both. And, and it's kind of confusing as to why you might choose one or, over the other. Hopefully that makes sense to the audience as an example of where that could be useful. Right. So, okay. So we talked about what kind of feedback might be useful. We've encouraged people to go to the NFPA 660 page to sign up to use TerraView to review that. We talked a bit already about what happens after the public feedback and review process, at least for this cycle, for... Uh, several months of next year, the, co- the committees will be getting together, going through and reviewing all of those you know, inputs and asking for their clarifying questions or looking to make changes to the documentation, that sort of thing. I do want to sort of close off just by talking about what else is happening with NFPA, if there's anything coming up that people should know about. But anything we missed here in, in the public review process that you want to make sure we get into this episode beforehand for the audience? I will just mention that all of our Committee meetings are open to the public. So if there's anyone listening to the podcast who isn't on the technical committees, but either, you know, submits public input or just wants to hear what happens with the public input that is submitted, please sign up for alerts on our doc info page, nfpa.org slash 660. You can sign up for email alerts that will notify you anytime a meeting notice is posted or agenda. And you can attend virtually or in person as a guest. They're open, open to everyone. So I really encourage you to do that. It gives you a good idea of how our process works. It might even encourage you to participate on some of the committees if you'd like to. I, I really recommend getting involved that way if you're interested. Yeah, it's such an important thing. If you're in this industry, it's a great way to start to get involved with those meetings. It's a good way to do personal development. It's a good way to sharpen your own sword, you know, get better skills and, and understanding. It's a good way to make connections with other people that are, you know, doing important work in the industry. So it's really good activity to get involved there. Even if you're not looking to go down, you know, the subject matter expert route, but you're with a company or um, your health safety manager, you're a government official, your insurance, you know, somebody that's on the shoulder side of the code user experience, it's also quite valuable to understand and to be involved with that process. So certainly sign up for the alerts. Um, I have them. That's how I knew it. 660 was open for available public comment. And yeah, I appreciate you taking the time, Laura. Anything else that's going on with NFPA that's in the works that the people that are producing or generating or handling combustible dust should know about? Uh, yeah, NFPA 68 and 69 are in revision right now. So the users might be interested in that. NFPA 68 is the explosion protection by deflagration venting standard. They're finishing up a revision right now. So it'll be posted by the end of this year for NITMAMS and then published either in early 2023 or fall of 2023, depending on if it goes to next year's tech session. So that's 68. And then 69 is about a year behind that. So it's open for public comments right now. So if, if anyone wants to go 
on to the doc info page for that, nfpa.org slash 69 for explosion prevention systems. The, the first draft changes are posted. So you can see what the timeline committee changed in that document and um, submit comments if you want for that. And then I'd also just mention NFPA link. I don't know if, have you used link, Chris? I only use it now. Okay. <laughs> There's no other way to, any old way is, is, is no longer useful. Great to, to hear it. But so that's our, our platform for viewing codes and standards, expert commentary, a lot of the handbook content from handbooks like on NFPA 30, the NEC, those are all on there. So nfpa.org slash link, you can view all our codes and standards online. You can save them for offline viewing if you don't have internet access. One of my favorite things is you can bookmark sections and have a section from one document open and then have the section that it refers to in another document open on another panel. Send sections to colleagues if you're working on them with uh, working with them on a project. There's a free trial for I think two weeks if you go to nfk.org slash link. So I'd highly recommend the listeners check it out if you, if you haven't yet. I can recommend it enough. It's it's uh, infinitely better uh, user experience to get through, and and I, I like the bookmarking. I just I like that you can just click the annex request and it just pulls it up in a pop up instead of flipping, instead of printing off two versions of the document and right. trying to flip through. Uh, anyway, it was it was, it was it's uh, much easier to use, and and it's relatively inexpensive. If you were buying a standard a year last, you know, before this was available, then. Uh, you're you're pretty much got your your price covered. So I've I've used it quite a bit. The other one out there is NFPA 652, the Combustible Dust Online Training Series. That's something we've been sending folks through. We had I think Alex talked about that on the podcast. We had him on back in episode 147. But when when folks are really coming into dust safety professionals and making requests there, and they're sort of at the very start beginning stages of learning about combustible dust, um, we've certainly been sending them through to that training packaged as well. And, and that's something that's really useful for folks getting into understanding combustible dust as a hazard, understanding 652. And I have to assume that will be useful for understanding 660 as well. So I think that's it. So and the last thing I'll say is on 68 and 69, if you go to mpa.org slash 68 or 69, just right at the top there, there's receive email alerts. So if you're thinking, oh, I want to know when the those are available, just click that blue button that says receive email alerts. And you can just add it to your your profile from there, and and then they'll actually email you when the when the meetings are coming up or when those things are available for you. Thank you for making it easy for us to get involved, Laura, and, and the NFPA team. So I think that's it for this week, Laura. I do want to say thank you again for managing. I guess is one word, <laughs> hurting. I don't know mm-hmm. whatever whatever it is you've been up to for the last two years with with all these committees and getting folks involved in a structured way that we can actually move things forward. I've, I've had a couple of times, and this is something we've addressed in other podcast episodes, where you know, 660, I, I don't think the goal was to make major changes to the individual standards themselves and the degree which, with which changes were made. We can you know, figure, figure that out in the public review process, but it gives us the platform to move forward in a better direction with the whole community. Having the one document where conflicts are, are obvious and glaringly obvious, I think even if, you know, even if we don't make major changes through to this round of 660, this gives us a platform to move better. And 10 years from now, the whole community is going to be better because 660 is in place and because we can move forward with the next revision cycle and the next revision cycle after that. It's something that hopefully a, a, a real structured manner to, to improving the, the safety of combustible dust end users. So thank you for organizing all of that. Thank you for your involvement and thank you for, for coming on the podcast today.
Thank you. And before we before I go, I just want to thank all the technical committee members that made this happen because all I do is facilitate it. They have put in so many hours of work and input and feedback and discussion, and this could definitely not have been done without them. Yes, I would also like to thank them as well. So thank you to thank you to all of them. Um, we've had some of them on the podcast before and, and the ones that we haven't, thank you as well. So uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get you back on the future, Laura, once we get to the, the next level of uh, the NFPA review process. Um, and I'm sure we'll see you at the NFPA conference and, and have you on the podcast in the future. So thank you. Sounds good. Thank you, Chris. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Laura Moreno, Standards Lead in Industrial and Chemical Engineering at NFPA. Uh, she's based at Quincy, Massachusetts. We're talking about understanding the public input process for NFPA 660. So as we mentioned in the outset of the podcast episode, we've covered this pretty extensively over the last year and a half, two years in the podcast, the development of 660, why it's needed, what it's going to look like, the structure is, what changes might be present in 660 from the industry-specific standards of the past and you know the importance of it and all that. This, this episode is really meant to help, one, make, make the listeners aware that NFPA 660 is now available for public comment. Um, you can provide that public comment by going to nfpa.org slash 660. Uh, there should be a button there, or you can go to 660 slash 660 NEXT next. That will um, bring you to the next tab on that 660 page. And in this episode, we talked about Laura's role, some of the work that she's been doing to help organize the development of 660. We talked about some of the history of why this was put in place in the first place, uh, following on from the 2009 Advanced Notice of Pro's rulemaking on combustible dust, which was really a follow-on from the several multi-fatality incidents happened in 2003, the call for the U.S. Chemical Safety Board in their combustible dust hazard study, the Imperial Sugar Refinery explosion that happened soon thereafter, going into this advanced notice of proposed rulemaking and going into needing a system and a set of uh, standards that can really address combustible dust hazards. As Laura talked about, you know, 652 uh, was in early development after, after that process. Um, start to address these, and then 660 is the uh, next iteration, bring them all, all of the industry-specific standards and that general standard or that fundamental standard under one roof, if you will. So we talk about that background, why it's needed. We talk about what kind of input is useful. You know, we talk through what kind of things were the NFPA is really looking for to have value input. And again, it's public. Provide any comments that you have to the committee members. I would uh, completely encourage that. We put a couple of tips. Um, once you open up TerraView, which is the platform that you can input the comments in, read the how to complete the instructions, and then go to Annex A.1.3. I think that was the number. And if you go there, it gives you sort of a walkthrough how you might um, tackle different areas of the document. I think that's you know really important first reading to get to the sections that are important for your role and what you're doing with combustible dust, and then can you provide your public feedback there. Uh, in terms of what type of feedback, the more specific, the better providing supplemental or, you know, the reason behind the feedback is really useful, substantiating information, data, past experience, you know, anything like that is tremendously valuable. Any sort of mistakes, anything that's out of order, anything that requires definition, clarification, those sort of things are also really valuable. Any conflicts with other approaches, standards are, are good to also bring up at this stage. And really anything that you think needs to be put in and we talk about the structure of how the review process goes, where in the first iteration, what we're in now, 
Um, anything that's not brought up in the first iteration can no longer be addressed in the second iteration next year. So don't wait, get involved. And like I said, January 5th is going to come sooner than, than we think. So make sure you're, you're reading the document and getting your input put in there. So last we closed up on a couple other things, 68 and 69 on explosion protection systems are under the review process now. You can sign up and get alerts, be involved there. Um, if you do want to be involved in the meetings, they are publicly available, both virtually and in person. So we'd encourage that through this podcast episode and the NFPA 652 training and NFPA link. Some other things that are going on that are really supporting end users that are handling combustible dust, code users, and the other people that are um, providing services and equipment to those sort of industries. So that's it for this episode. If you have any feedback on the podcast episode, outside of providing public feedback, you can email me at chris at dustsafetyscience.com. We'll have Laura's contact information in the show notes for this episode, which will be at dustsafetyscience.com slash 198 for the episode. And I want to say, as always, thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for all the work you're doing in interest handling combustible dust, making them safer with the work that you're doing out there every day. Keep it up.